Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 156 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a ransomware attack at schools on the Isle of Wight. We then have an important ruling from the UK High Court in the case of Dixon Store Group and the claim for damages for distress by customers of the group. We then travel to the US where the US Supreme Court has made a ruling on data breach damages. And we then travel back to Ireland where there's been a medical data breach. And remaining in Ireland, Limerick Council have been told it can't use CCTV on taxi ranks because of GDPR. We then travel back to America, where there's been a data breach at the University of Kentucky. And we then travel back to Scotland, where NHS Highland COVID vaccination programme has had a data breach. We then travel to Germany, where the Chaos Computer Club says it will no longer work with the ruling CDU party to highlight to it vulnerabilities in any of its activities after the CDU issued a threat of legal action. We then travel back to the US, where a new law in Connecticut protects businesses from damage claims after cyber incidents. And then finally this week, we travel back to Germany, where a company has been fined €65,500 simply for not keeping its checkout software up to date. So as always, a great mix of articles for you in this week's episode of the GDPR Week Show. We do hope you find the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. We begin this week on the Isle of Wight, where six schools have been hit by a cyber attack, which is preventing staff from accessing their systems. The Isle of Wight Education Federation said its IT systems were compromised by a ransomware attack which has encrypted its data. The council said the affected schools were Carisbrook College, Island Sixth Form, Medina College, Barton Primary, Honeyhill Primary and Lanes End Primary. The federation said it's working with the police and with the Isle of Wight Council. A federation spokesman said there are obviously some significant implications of this which we are managing and will take measures to secure our systems even f- further in the future. He added that the schools group was working to ensure that necessary and appropriate systems are in place for the new academic year. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that way back in episode 73, we brought you news of Dixon Stores Group, DSG Retail Limited, being fined for a data breach. Since then, there have been a number of lawyers and solicitors working with people whose data had been affected to put together a claim for damages. However, this week, that claim for damages was dealt something of a blow. In the case that appeared this week before the High Court in London, the claimant, Darren Lee Warren, brought a claim for damages against DSG based on distress suffered as a result of the breach of his personal data, which he said included his name, address, phone number, date of birth and email address. In his claim, Warren relied on theories of breach of confidence, misuse of private information, breach of the Data Protection Act and common law negligence. DSG sought to have the breach of confidence, misuse of private information and common law negligence claims dismissed on the basis that they had no realistic prospect of success. 
DSG challenged the claims, contending that neither would stem from a failure to keep data secure because both causes of action require a positive wrongful act on the part of the defendant, whereas in this case the breach resulted from an external attack. With respect to the negligence claim, DSG argued that where duties under the Data Protection Act apply, the same action cannot be brought in negligence. In addition, DSG argued that the negligence required pleading of a recoverable loss, which was not present in this instance. While the claimant conceded that the breach of confidence claim was untenable, he argued the validity of the misuse of private information claim, stating that he had provided DSG with his data in a reasonable expectation it would remain private, and that DSG's failure to protect that data through basic security measures was tantamount to publication of the data. On an evidence claim, the claimant argued that although the duty of care under negligence informs the judicial approach under DPP7, the two duties are separate and the claim under the Data Protection Act therefore did not protrude an negligence claim. However, the judge disagreed. The judge stated that neither the breach of competence nor the misuse of private information imposed the data security duty on the holders of the information, but instead prohibit actions by the holder that are inconsistent with the obligations of the competence and privacy. The argument that DSG's failures constituted a positive action was rejected, with the judge describing it as an unconvincing attempt to shoehorn the facts of the data breach into the tort of MPI. With respect to negligence, the judge relied on court appeal precedent in holding that there was no common law duty of care due to the already applicable statutory duty under the Data Protection Act. Further, the judge determined that a state of anxiety produced by some negligent act or omission but falling short of a clinically recognisable psychiatric illness does not constitute damage sufficient to complete a torturous course of action. But the Data Protection Act, on the other hand, allows compensation for distress resulting from a controller's breach of DPP7. Therefore, the claimant had failed to allege any relevant loss under an negligence action. Ultimately, the judge dismissed the claims, while the claim based on the breach of the Data Protection Act has been stayed pending the final determination of DSG's appeal against the ICO fine. Now this case sets an interesting precedent because obviously this is the first time we've had a case of damages for distress where instead of minimising those damages as we have seen in previous cases, the judge just totally threw it out. Now if that happens in other cases, then the whole aspect of lawyers forming class actions to recover money for clients based on those clients suffering distress may just simply fall by the wayside because other cases will doubtless now in their defence point to this case as setting the precedent. So the implications of this are that it will considerably narrow the issues in dispute rightly, we think, focusing such disputes on the key question of whether the incident in question involved breaches of UK GDPR, and it will also undermine the business model of claimant firms which have been bringing multiple individual claims using this insurance to offset their cost risk and pressure defendant companies to pursue intersettlements well above the level they would be likely to recover if matters went to court. And that, of course, is particularly interesting when you think that at the moment we are known to have the British Airways case where it's rumoured that an out-of-court settlement has been reached, and also the Virgin Media claim, where, again, there are encouraging signs that Virgin Media and the litigants will reach an out-of-court settlement rather than go to court. However, I personally feel that both of those cases now could be thrown wide open again, because with this judgment now in the high court effectively ruling out distress, unless it's provable as a psychiatric condition, then... I think there's a strong case for saying that both British Airways and Virgin Media may now take the line 
And of course, I'm not a lawyer, so this is not legal advice, but it just seems a logical approach to me from what I know of GDPR, what I know of the GDPR regulations, and what I know of what's happened so far. And taking this case as president, the British Airways and Virgin may well just say to the firms seeking these class actions, well, bring it on. Let's go to the High Court, let's go to the Supreme Court if necessary, and let's get a ruling. Because up to now, the encouragement has been there for British Airways and Virgin to seek out-of-court settlements because of the danger that a court may impose a massive settlement. But now the alternative looks to be more the case, that the court might just throw it out. So an interesting situation to watch, and we will be keeping a close eye on this over the next few weeks, to see just what happens and when and if these cases do go to court or whether the out-of-court settlement line is pursued. Following on from the last article, there's been some interesting developments this week too in the US along not dissimilar lines, particularly regarding the US Supreme Court. The case in question is the case between TransUnion versus Ramirez in the US Supreme Court. By a close vote of 5-4, to four, the justice held that individuals who have their data compromised on a breach but cannot show tangible harm lack class action standing. Now, because of the way the US legal system is structured, what this will probably do is actually force all of these class actions down from the Supreme Court to state courts. So to give a bit of background on this case, TransUnion is a credit reporting company that mistakenly put terrorist labels on some consumer files. A class action comprised of 8,185 people sued the company under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the FCRA, and were awarded both statutory and punitive damages at trial amounting to around $60 million. The issue before the Supreme Court was whether the standing existed, as most of the class action plaintiffs did not have their files sent to third parties. The court concluded that without any concrete harm, there was no standing. Only 1,853 of the class members had their inaccurate files sent out, which the court found was reputational harm sufficient to establish standing. However, there was not standing for the remaining 6,332 individuals, since all they could show was a mere statutory violation without concrete harm. The court also concluded that speculative harm was not enough, which referred to potential risk that files with terrorist designations could be shared in the future. Based on the court's ruling, TransUnion has significantly lower liability and damages to pay out as a result of the breach. Going forward, if class actions had come before the Supreme Court, then there would be a need to establish injury to their reputation or monetary loss to assert standing before the case will be accepted before the court. The reason that cases are more likely to go before the state courts even if they don't get to the Supreme Court standing, is because traditionally in the US, state courts have tended to be more consumer-friendly and lenient on actually proving illegal standing. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean in any way that a organization's response to a data breach shouldn't be expedient and thorough, because, again, proving that you've taken all the actions that you could is a strong factor in your defense in any legal action. And so, interesting that the High Court in the UK and the Supreme Court in the US have reached, in some ways, very similar conclusions. And so, we will keep a close eye in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show on how this affects the course of class actions to seek damages from companies where data breaches have occurred. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To the Republic of Ireland now, and a medical file containing personal information and care plans was found blowing in the wind on the footpath at Harbour Road, Mullinger, last Thursday evening. A member of the public found the file and quickly gathered it up. She was shocked to find that it included documents containing the name, address, telephone number and extensive medical details for a male patient. The woman promptly notified the hospital of her find. 
I was walking home from work at about 6.30 on Thursday evening and just crossed the road to Presentation Junior School when I saw something blown on the street. It looked like a hospital file, the woman said. I grabbed the file before its pages were blown away. I saw it had manager hospital on it and it had personal details and a care plan for a man who was wheelchair bound. The woman said the file was laying on the pavement for anyone to pick up. She rang the hospital and explained the situation. She said the receptionist was shocked and asked her to drop it into the hospital as soon as possible. She walked out to the hospital and tried to explain to a member of staff, not the person she'd spoken to a while earlier, but found the response she received was flippant and snappy, and she was upset by this as she'd gone out of her way to act responsibly. The Ireland East Hospital Group confirmed that a file was delivered to the regional hospital in Mullinger. Upon review, it was found the file was not from the hospital. They said the data breach was followed up promptly by the regional hospital in Mullinger. The data controller for a file subject to the data breach was contacted and the file was returned to them for their follow-up in line with GDPR. We can assure the person that handed in the file that the data breach was taken very seriously and dealt with accordingly, they said. Remaining in Ireland and to Limerick now, where Limerick Council has been told that thanks to GDPR, closed-circuit television cannot be used to monitor taxi rank to issue fines. In a written answer circulated to the members of the Metropolitan District, Director of Service Kieran Lehane revealed that GDPR prohibits the use of apparatus to monitor taxi ranks for the purpose of issuing fixed charge notices. This news came following a question from Fianna Fáil Councillor Azad Teladta, who urged more widespread use of the cameras in taxi ranks across Limerick. For many years, taxi drivers have complained taxi ranks are their place of work, they wait there for their fare. But there are no cameras. Sometimes people are scared to approach private drivers using taxi ranks, he said. Councillor Tulipta was told that if a council did fit cameras to taxi ranks where they're not available, it would cost €100,000. Now, I have to say that from our personal understanding of GDPR, I don't quite understand which GDPR the council officer is referring to here when he says that you can't have CCTV cameras monitoring taxi rank. You can have CCTV cameras monitoring public spaces as long as A, you have clear signage that CCTV is in use, B, the signage says what the CCTV is for, and C, it gives people a point to contact if they want to view the CCTV footage or question the CCTV footage. So I actually believe that the council was misadvised in this particular instance. So if we get any update from Limerick Council, I will of course let you know in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To America now, and a data breach at the University of Kentucky has exposed the personal information of hundreds of thousands of students and staff. An annual cybersecurity inspection uncovered the breach, which was caused by a vulnerability in a server associated with the university's College of Education database. It's reported that more than 355,000 email addresses were exposed in the security incident, with victims now located across the world. The database is part of a free resource program known as the Digital Drivers Licence for Training and Test-Taking, used by K-12 schools and colleges in Kentucky and other states, said the University of Kentucky's Chief Information Officer, Brian Nichols. The university said that the names and email addresses included in the database were not limited to students and teachers based in Kentucky. The university revealed that the database also included personal information belonging to students and teachers in all 50 states of the USA and 22 foreign countries. The university went on to say the database did not contain financial, health or social security information, limiting the potential of identity theft of any kind. University officials said they have notified the school districts impacted by the data breach and informed the appropriate legal and regulatory authorities. 
The university says it's invested $13 million in cybersecurity over the past five years. To prevent a similar incident from occurring, the University of Kentucky's Information Technology Services will be investing an additional $1.5 million to fund cybersecurity measures. Among the measures announced by the university are the addition of multi-factor authentication for all critical systems, including email and VPN, and the creation of a new Enterprise Chief Information Security Officer, CISO, position. The university said it will also be implementing next-generation firewalls at the edge of the University of Kentucky systems to mitigate potential security events and taking steps to ensure that critical severity vulnerabilities affecting internet-facing mission-critical systems are patched rapidly. A further safety measure that will be rolled out is the automated deprovisioning of accounts for students and employees who are no longer at the university. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com To Scotland now, and letters inviting patients at NHS Highland for the second dose of their COVID vaccine were produced by NHS Highland Public Health carrying information relating to other patients. A spokesperson for NHS Highland said these letters each contain the name and address of the patient along with the date, time, slot and location they should attend to receive their second vaccine. Each of these letters should only fill one page. On Thursday, July 22nd, a batch of 249 letters addressed to named individual patients were transferred electronically to the Department of Inverness who have the facilities to print and envelope large batches of letters. The process is that letters are printed before being manually transferred to a letter-folding enveloping machine. The packed envelopes are then manually taken to the mailroom for posting to patients. On the evening of Saturday, July 24th, an email was sent by a recipient of one of these letters informing the Director of Public Health that they had received their notification of a second vaccine appointment and that on the reverse of their letter were details of a second patient and their vaccine appointment. On Monday, July 26th, this matter was escalated and following inquiries, it was found that of the 249 letters that should have been printed, 124 have been printed with the details of a second patient on reverse of each of these letters. The mistake meant that 124 patients did not receive them off of a second vaccine and their data was inappropriately shared with others. Only one letter was printed correctly and without issue. The NHS Highland Data Protection Officer was notified, who in turn notified the senior information mister owner, David Park. NHS Highland posted immediate actions were taken on the morning of July 26 to mitigate the risk. The Data Protection Officer met the relevant managers and the action plan was agreed to mitigate the risk of the slip happening again. The following actions were put in place. Establish the facts around the existing processes. Ensure letters of invite for second COVID vaccine are sent to 124 patients who didn't receive their original letter. Draft and send the letters of apology to 124 patients whose data was shared inappropriately, informing them of what occurred and who to contact should they have any questions. Draft and send letters of apologies to 124 patients who mistakenly received the data of others, asking them to attend their appointments but to securely destroy the information they had been sent in error. Review your current processes, develop a standard operating procedure and brief all staff within the department responsible for this printing, notify the ICO and notify the NIS competent authority. The spokesperson explained, the printing of these specific letters is a new and additional process brought about by the needs of the COVID vaccine programme. The default settings on printers are set to double-sided printing. However, it is clear that the appropriate quality checks were not carried out during the printing and enveloping process. This must be considered to be human error. The staff involved, who have been trained in the use of the printer and letter folding enveloping machines, have been spoken to by their manager and reminded of their responsibilities to carry out quality checks throughout the print process. The manager for the department involved has published a standard operating procedure for this printing process, which has been cascaded to all staff in the department. The ICO has been notified of the data breach within the statutory time scales and has acknowledged receipt of the report. People should have received a replacement letter in time to attend their vaccination appointments, but follow-up will be undertaken, the spokesperson said. If we receive any further update on this, either from Nature Highland or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. 
to Germany now and the Taos Computer Club, the CCC, a German-based association of hackers, has announced that it will stop cooperating with the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU, Germany's ruling political party, after the party allegedly threatened one of the activists with legal prosecution following a security bug report. In May, security researcher Lilith Whitman discovered security flaws in CDU Connect, the mobile application the political party used to reach voters during the federal election season. According to the findings, the app's web API had a security flaw that gave unauthorised access to the personal information of 18,500 campaign workers, including email addresses and photos, and also the addresses, date and birth and interests of 1,350 users. In the spirit of responsible disclosure, Wittmann did not publish her findings immediately and submitted them to Sir Bond, Berlin's Data Protection Officer, and the CDU's Data Protection Department. The CDU shut down the app shortly after the report and notified its users of a possible data breach. But according to a blog post on the Chaos Computer Club's website, the CDU held out the prospect of legal action when Wittmann reported vulnerability. Earlier this week, the Cybersecurity Police sent an email to Wittmann and asked for a postal address to send legal documents. The Chaos Computer Club criticised the CDU for being extremely ungrateful for the voluntary help and described their move as shooting the messenger. A spokesperson for the Chaos Computer Club declared that the organisation would no longer be reporting vulnerabilities to CDU in light of the episode. On August 4th, CDU Managing Director Stefan Henevich confirmed that the party had reported a data breach to the police but denied it using Wittmann as stealing data. Our notification is not directed against Wittmann's responsible disclosure procedure. Responsible disclosure procedures are a great way to alert those affected to security vulnerabilities, Henevich wrote on Twitter. Henevich also apologised to Wittmann and said that the complaint had been revoked. Wittmann was not convinced. It's a total non-apology. It doesn't stop the actual lawsuit. Nobody files a lawsuit accidentally, she said. If we get any update on this, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. And to Connecticut now, where Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont last month signed legislation that would protect businesses in the state from punitive damages if any personal or restricted information they held had been compromised. But there was a catch. To receive the protection, businesses would have to meet certain cybersecurity standards which were also laid out in the legislation. According to Public Act 21-119, a few of these cybersecurity standards include having a written cybersecurity program that contains administrative, technical and physical safeguards to protect personal restricted information. This program would need to conform to either the Framework for Improving Critical Infrastructure Cybersecurity, published by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or the Federal Risk and Management Program's Security Assessment Framework. Once the program is put in place, it would safeguard the security and confidentiality of businesses' private information and protect against the unauthorised access of information that could potentially result in identity theft or fraud. Jeff Brown, the state's Chief Information Security Officer, said... Public Act 21119 is an important step forward to incentivise private companies to take cybersecurity more seriously by aligning with an industry-accepted cybersecurity framework. More than one framework is cited in the bill because the cybersecurity is not a one-size-fits-all solution. If a defendant business can demonstrate that they conform to one of the recognised cybersecurity frameworks, there's a appropriate for their industry they will have some legal protection in the event of a breach, Brown said. State CIO Mark Raymond said... The business community that we have in the state has been very appreciative of the effort to help provide more protection for business. They recognise they are struggling, so anything we can do to help them and create a safer environment has been appreciated. When asked why a concept like this hadn't been proposed sooner, Raymond said it would have been great if it had been proposed five years ago. 
Cyber security, from my perspective, is an ever-changing field. It has become more risky and complex, but two simple things continue to drive it, he said. The first is an increase in people doing more things online. The second is, is that as online services continue to grow, the threats and number of adversaries trying to steal information grows. I think the next steps involve working with industry and helping them adjust to this new legislation, whether that's answering questions or checking in with them to see how they are attaining these frameworks, Raymond said. We need to work together and pay attention to the changing landscape of cybersecurity to make sure our state's businesses are safe and protected. The legislation takes effect from the 1st of October 2021. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We return to Germany now for an interesting case where it just goes to show how it pays to keep all your software up to date. GDPR course says that appropriate technical and organisational measures to protect data must be taken into account. A violation of these technical specifications has now been fatal for a company from Lower Saxony. This had to, at the will of the state's data protection officer, the company received a fine of €65,500 for violating regulations of Article 25 and Article 32 of GDPR. The reason for the proceedings was a report by the company to the authorities regarding the data protection incident. This report was taken as an opportunity to check the company's website from a technical point of view. It turned out that the web shop application, XD Commerce in version 3.04 Service Pack 2.1, was being used on the site. However, this version was out of date because since 2014, it had no longer been provided with security updates by the manufacturer. On the contrary, the manufacturer explicitly warned against continuing to use version 3 of its software. The background to the warning was significant security vulnerabilities, among other things, that made SQL injection attacks possible. The investigations by the authority from Lower Saxony also showed that the passwords stored in the database were secured with the cryptographic hash function MD5. However, this is not designed for use of passwords, so calculation of the plain text password would have been possible. In addition, no sort had been used, had it been so then the calculation would, of course, have been much more difficult. The court ruled that due to the inadequate security precautions in the present case, it was possible to determine the plain text passwords and then try out further attacks with manageable effort. It considered that the company had only not implemented updates to the software in order to save costs. The authority came to the conclusion that the technical measures taken by the controller did not meet the protection requirements of GDPR and said there was a violation of Article 32. A fine of €65,500 was then imposed, which the company accepted. In favour of the company of a standard account, they had already informed the persons concerned that a change of password was necessary before the court proceeding. So again, perhaps an example, as we're seeing more and more cases of, where authorities are seeking penalties under GDPR, not for data breaches, but for other breaches of GDPR regulations, and that is so why it is so important that you do have a GDPR audit carried out of your policies and procedures. If you'd like us to carry out such an audit, we would of course be delighted to do so. Just contact us using the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production. Until next time, bye-bye.